Hey everybody, it's me, Erica. And Rachel. And you are listening to Story Crime Podcast. doing fairly well i uh have no complaints to report um and yeah how about you yeah well we're getting ready to get right back into the swing of things here in uh september in terms of that thing called a full-time job that we have <laughs> yes so... don't remind me <laughs> uh yeah thankfully we had a pd day today at my school board so we did go in we had to do some training and stuff like that but there were no kids there so it was like having one extra day to get the classroom ready perfect and is it all ready for the kids to come through like a tornado tomorrow it sure is (laughs) i even went and got some lol dolls whoa you are cool (laughs) i am not a regular kindergarten teacher i'm a cool kindergarten did you open them are they like the surprise ones or you know which ones they are uh I got them from Goodwill, so. Oh, the, did yeah. you get the one that's, like, the Beyonce? That's I don't my know. favorite LOL doll. They all look like strippers to me. <laughs> so. No. There's one, she's, like, Queen Bee, and I think that's why I associate Beyonce, because her name yeah. is Queen. But, uh, yeah, she's pretty cool. So, um, a friend of mine actually got, uh, like, an LOL doll set. It came with, like, a trailer or, like, a. Yeah, I think my nieces have that, yeah. too. Yeah. Anyways, there was a straight-up stripper pole in <laughs> the camper van. I think it was a camper van that it had. Like, it. there was no other thing, because it actually, like, showed on a picture, like, the doll, like, sliding down the pole, and the oh. thing, like, spun and stuff. So, legit but stripper they, pole. They could say it was a fireman's pole all they want. <laughs> we but know the truth. There was no LOL fires. Dolls. There was no trucks. <laughs> that was a stripper pole anyways i know that the kids in my class because even the boys like to play with them i know like yeah because no... they look like little baby strippers <laughs> um, the uh everybody likes to play with them so i'm gonna get the lol dolls out with the ponies and the i've got like old school trolls so oh, it's cool. gonna be a, a regular awesome toy treasure party. trolls or the fake ones no they're like the trolls that Remember they used to have like the jewels in their belly. Yeah. The, so if they have not... a jewel in the belly, they're the the real one. If they don't have a jewel in the belly, they're fake. They're not what? treasure jewels. What? You didn't know that? I did not know that. Little little nineties secret for you. Oh well, many of them do not have jewels in their bellies. So I yeah. guess I have a bunch of fakes. Fakers. That's all right. They definitely are not the trolls from the new movie though. So they are the uh, ones from the nineties. The ones with the faces that are like mm-hmm. big and squishy and. You got fun. it. You got it. I had, you, I had a cheerleader troll. I think I still have it. I used to have a troll that when you squeeze its belly, its tongue would pop out. Did you ever have one like that? No. They're like hard as rock. Yeah, the ones. I had one that had a soft belly. When you pushed it, his tongue came out. That's fun. Remember Polly awesome. Pocket? Of course. She they're got really like big the, over the years. <laughs> they're really, like over the last few years, she's been really popular. No, but I mean big as in size. Like she's not Polly Pocket. She doesn't fit like in your poly, pocket anymore? She's like Polly Get a purse or backpack. (laughs) (laughs) Polly, get a purse or backpack. Um, You know what I saw at Fan Expo? Not to go back to that again, but um, 
there was a guy there selling glowworms and I'm not talking like the stuffed ones. Yeah. Do you remember glowworms and they were like all rubber and you'd hold them to the light? No, I only remember the one with the rubber face and the rest, okay, of, so the rest of the body was like, like a stuffy, stuffy. and you squeeze yeah, it. Yeah. So we used to have this like little set and they were all little rubber things and you would hold it up to the light and then you shut the light off. It would go in the dark, the little glowworms. And I could not believe it. The guy had like four or five of them. $25 each. They're about, I don't know, the size of a McDonald's toy. No I was like, He was like, yeah, I'll give that. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give it to you for 20 And I was like, uh-uh. Keep tell you what, worm. you can keep your glow worm. <laughs> I'm going to go buy something big for 20 bucks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You wow. nailed it. Wow. Anyways, that was a fun nostalgic trip down memory toy lane. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think though that we got to get right on this tonight because guys, part two of Fred and Rose West is going to be very long. Let me do like a recap to see if I remember everything. I have like this tendency to, I don't know, forget the story (laughs) after I hear it. And it's probably just, you know, a way that I can sleep at night. So (laughs) let's see if I, Fred and Rose, both their moms were named Daisy they grew up in some pretty abusive shit, um, found each other. Rose killed uh, Fred's, like, stepdaughter, I suppose. Right. Fred killed Anna, the girlfriend, or some babysitter. I'm not sure yep. who she is. Um, and now we're at the part where, oh, didn't they just kill Rena? They just killed Rena. You Damn. got it. Yeah, yeah. And now they moved into their 25... Cromwell Street. Cromwell Street and Gloucester. Yes. You have nailed it. So that is kind of where we left off. But before we get there, um, you had asked something. You got really heated last week about a little detail. Oh, did I? And, that sounds um, <laughs> And uh, I just wanted to touch on it because I found this podcast by... Oh, another thing I need to say is that I called the author of that book I read at least two or three times last week, Howard Hoons. That is not his name. And I apologize to Howard because he is amazing. His name is Howard Soons. And I think I may have been every time, like, in my mind, it went Howard Hughes. And then to Hoons, I don't know. But his last name is Soons. I'm going to link it again in the show notes today because I used that book for almost this entire two-part series. And then I found a podcast, you guys. And it is called Unheard the Fred West tapes and Howard Soons has gone back through all of his notes and all of his recordings from when he originally did all the coverage of this back in the nineties. And then he's gone through and he's contacted other witnesses and other people that were associated with the West and re-interviewed them. And he made a podcast with all of his information. Wow. And so there was one thing I wanted to clarify because I did find something out that I thought was interesting. And so do you remember when we talked about how Fred, during Fred's early life, he was arrested and charged with the rape of his 13-year-old sister. It's widely believed to be his sister and she Mm -hmm. was pregnant. Um, And you asked how he was acquitted because of the fact that Kitty wouldn't testify. Mm Mm-hmm. So after listening to that podcast that I just talked about, what Howard soon soon says is that one of the reasons that the case fell apart 
was because of the fact that the West family's the West family's GP or Fred's family doctor also testified for the defense. And during his testimony, he stated that due to Fred's traumatic brain injury, he may have developed epilepsy. And on top of this, he also stated that those injuries could have rendered him not responsible for his actions at the time. Kind of a bullshit excuse. And when he re-interviewed the doctor during this podcast, that doctor had very little memory, but he says it wouldn't surprise him if the defense was looking for a testimony that he could have said this may have been the cause. Mm. But that mixed with the fact that Kitty wouldn't, uh, she, it wasn't that she wouldn't testify. She would refuse to identify her abuser okay. in court. And between that and and the doctor's testimony, everything kind of fell apart from that point on. Um, and although Daisy did testify on her son's behalf, she was absolutely horrified by what had happened to Kitty and cut basically cut Fred out. And he did reconcile with his father and was sort of involved with the family, with his brothers and, and, and stuff like that afterwards. Uh, but it was never the same. So I just wanted to clarify oh, that because he couldn't be held criminally responsible because of his brain injury and she wouldn't identify him to like. Cor- yeah, more, more or less. That's more or less what happened there. And I think that just it was also like a, a, the times that this was happening too, right? Like the, the time in history that this was happening mm-hmm. was hard to get convictions for rape and, and child sexual abuse. So, I mean, and hard to prove it still is, but less so now than it was then. And without that, those crucial, without that crucial piece of evidence of her identifying her abuser and probably with a respected doctor's testimony, it would have made it very hard for uh, the prosecutors to make mm-hmm. a case in this. So, and did she end up giving birth? No, there she did not. No she left DNA the baby. test available either. Well, there. I mean, probably been. not back then, anyways. No. But well, still. she she died in two thousand six. Uh, Kitty did, and Howard Soons was able because she never spoke publicly about Fred at all, mm-hmm. not about what happened to her or any of the murders or anything like that. But when she passed away, uh, Howard Soons was able to get in touch with her husband. And he told Howard that what happened with Fred when she was a child and plus like the revelations about the murders and what happened with Fred and Rose afterwards were he said this is what killed his wife, that she was another victim of Fred and Rose West. So that she just was never the same. She was never able to recuperate. No, from everything and it was just trauma after trauma so that's mm-hmm. to me when I listened to that the other day I was driving home from my parents house and I was listening to it in the car and it was just so devastating to me because the in all of these cases it's such a ripple effect and domino effect of mm-hmm. it's not so much just the the direct victims of these crimes that are impacted it's everybody else yeah. and in this case Fred and Rose definitely impacted so many people with their actions and it's horrifying so cool well thank you for clarifying that because yes that is something i imagine got heated about (laughs) yeah you did get heated about it you were very angry so picking up from where we left off last week uh fred and rose were about to move into 25 cromwell street a very infamous address in england and it was in january of 1972 fred and rose would marry at the gloucester registry office 
No family or friends would attend the ceremony, with the exception of Fred's brother, John, who acted as best man and witness to their union. Remember, was not legal because he was still technically married to Rena at the time. Mm -hmm. It would be just a short while later that the couple, along with their two children, Anne-Marie and Heather, they would move into the house at 25 Cromwell. And on June 1st of that same year, Rose would give birth to the couple's third daughter, who they named Mae West. Hmm. Mae West. Isn't that like a character in the Western movies? Sounds familiar. Oh, Mae West. After initially just renting the house on Cromwell Street, the West decided that they would buy it and convert some of the upstairs bedrooms into bedsits or like rental rooms, I guess. Mm. And they would take in tenants to assist in paying their mortgage and all their bills. Mm-hmm. Many of the houses along Cromwell Street had been converted in this way and would provide lodging to students that were attending the uh, nearby, let's see if I can nail this, Gloucestershire College. Nailed I don't, it. don't know if I said that right. <laughs> the Wests were no different, and they would have various students come in and out of their residence over the years. Now, the house on Cromwell Street, it was a bit bigger than most of the houses on that street, and that's because it was an end lot. I think, like a corner lot almost. And behind their home, they had like a fairly decent sized garage as well as a fenced in garden and patio. The house had two upstairs floors as well as a room in the attic and a huge cellar. And Fred would sometimes tell friends that he wished to turn the cellar into a sex slash slash torture chamber for his wife, Rose. Oh, and this was a comment that many people didn't take seriously. They thought it was just him being gross and rude and weird. And really, he was serious. <laughs> and really, he was serious, yeah. Once the couple moved into the infamous 25 Cromwell Street in Gloucester, Rose immediately went back to work entertaining men in an upstairs bedroom. The room she would use would be called Rose's room, and it would be rigged with a red light outside the door so that oh. when Rose, yeah, so that when Rose was working, the other family members would know not to bother her. So she made her own red light district. Oh, she sure did. Okay, Rose. Now, Rose was the only one to have a key to this room, and she would always wear this key on a string around her neck, never take it off. Mm. Uh, Fred also insta- installed a separate doorbell that Rose's clients were instructed to ring when they came by the house. She's just up there entertaining these gentlemen with her daughters downstairs playing oh, Barbies. Yeah. And they're just like, cool, mom's working. Not a big deal. No big I mean, deal. I'm, I'm all for sex positivity. However, that's a little... It's a little much. A little much. And, I mean, I'll get to it in a second because I agree with you. There's There's nothing wrong with her. If she wants to have sex with other men and Fred's okay with it, that's completely her prerogative. There's nothing mm-hmm. illegal about that. Some of the stuff, even aside from the murders, the fact that she's soliciting and, and receiving payment for it, I believe that that is illegal. I could be wrong about that. I don't know. But um, at the time, I think it was. So, yeah. With I the mean, kids probably. in the house, it probably also isn't safe. Is yeah, that's, what, that's what I was thinking more. Who are these yeah. strange men? And... Yeah. So <laughs> her involvement in sex work, like we just said, it wasn't something that the couple were ashamed of or even tried to hide from really anyone. And Rose would place ads in contact magazines advertising her, servi- her services. And it was obvious exactly who she was, what she was up to. You can find these pictures online. If I can no find way. one, I will post it on the Instagram 
seventies are a different time. Like I imagine yeah. being able to do that now. Well, I guess Craigslist was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey. You got OnlyFans, you've got lots of sites that, you know, people kind of advertise stuff like that on, right? And yeah. it's not illegal, but Anyways, a typical ad. Would you like me to read it to you? What sure one of her would. ads would say? Yes. Sexy housewife needs it deep and hard from oh. VWE, or very well-endowed male, oh my while God. husband watches Colored's Welcome. How so inclusive of you. <laughs> they were cuckolding. Like, I guess the guy so, watching, yeah. that's, apparently that's what that's called. Cuckolding? Oh, okay. Something like I think. I mean, well, I could be it, wrong, but I think. It was like Fred's favorite thing. To watch, he to would watch st- Rose oh. get plowed by very well endowed men. Oh yeah, it was his fave. Fred would install peepholes in Rose's room to watch his wife with her clients, and he would take pleasure in hearing Rose yell out while having sex with these other men. Oh my gosh! He also had a set of baby monitors, just like in every room in the house, so that he could just like turn it on, turn it on, and listen. Um, just some dinner. Let me hear this second. Yeah. He would get off on the fact that Rose sold her body and he was all for it. And we saw that with Rena as well. He did not care. He was actually helping her. And like you said, safety first. Whatever. If Rose and and Fred have an agreement and if it ended here, cool. But it didn't. didn't. Um, If Rose, if Fred was at work and Rose was entertaining a man, when he came home from work, that would be like dinner conversation. He needed to hear every last detail about what they had gotten up to, everything they did. Yeah. Now, this might be something beyond your scope of information, Mm -hmm. but the curious minds want to know, did Fred engage with Rose afterwards? He sometimes engaged with Rose during, if they were willing. Yeah. Hey. Did... Okay. That's all I'm going to ask. Well, if... um, (laughs) Howard Soons actually writes in his book that normal, like, you know, regular beige sex wasn't Fred's thing. I like that you called it beige and not vanilla. (laughs) Vanilla sounds flavorful. Too flavorful. Yeah. Regular beige sex wasn't wasn't what uh, Fred wanted. Uh, He says that normal sex did not stimulate him greatly. He only became aroused if a fetish was involved, like bondage, defecation, which they did not go into detail about that. Thank you. To the no. He's all (laughs) about Boston steamers. (laughs) Cleveland Cleveland steamers. Right. That's what I know it as. What is a Boston steamer? (laughs) I don't know. It's like when you poop on their test, I think. Cleveland steamer. All right. <laughs> if you're from Boston or Cleveland, let, let us know. know. <laughs> I don't even know cities. All right. Anyways, we're getting um, off. We must be very tired or it's very like yeah, it has been. Anyways, Howard Soons writes in his book. Normal sex did not stimulate him greatly. He only became aroused if a fetish was involved, like bondage, defecation, or sadism. And we will definitely see this in the way he treated his victims later on. Now, 
like I said, he would often participate in threesomes with his wife, or he would just sit in there while she's with a client. And I'm sorry, like, Fred, be less of a creep. Like, <laughs> He's just in the corner watching. <laughs> smoking a cigarette with, like, his sunglasses on. Tickling the guy's foot. <laughs> like, I can't. Fred, you're disgusting. Fred, you're I mean, if maybe if the client is into it, I don't know, but... I guess if they've advertised it, they know that the husband's going to be in there. So, sure. Again, these acts on their own are nothing to be concerned about. Many people are into this. It's a thing. It's a, you know, yeah. you do you, live and let live. Mm-hmm. And if a married couple wants to engage in this type of sex, sexual encounters, as long as everyone is consenting, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And even when it comes so later, they're into like bondage, S&M, that kind of stuff. Many normal people enjoy that. Totally. And it's completely legal, like I said. Yeah. The Wes, of course, are not normal people. And when they cause their sexual partners pain, mm. this is when they thoroughly enjoyed themselves. And I'm not talking like your regular S&M pain, like that stuff you've agreed on. I'm talking like purposefully causing pain and agony. So okay. great. <laughs> yeah. So Rose would find the most pleasure when she was engaging in demeaning and harmful sex acts with other women. Rose fancied herself a bisexual, but she really enjoyed abusing. Hurting them? Hurting them. So she would use like extra large dildos or she would smother the women with pillows during uh, sex. And when they would cry out in pain and agony, she would say like, aren't you women enough to handle it? Oh, hell no, Rose. You don't disgrace. Wait, so these women are not consenting to this at this point. I think it would start out as consensual and then Rose would take it to another level. You know what I mean? What a bitch. Like, Like, yeah. So, yeah, so that's kind of what she would do. And and there's a part of me that wonders, because you'll see this a lot with Rose, that she was really aggressive with the women and more aggressive oftentimes than Fred. And I often wonder if it was because she had no control over her body. And instead of taking it on men, like you would maybe assume that would be what she would want to do. But instead, making other women feel as out of control as she did when it came to her father or these older men that she was, that seemed to take advantage of her mm-hmm. vulnerabilities. I wonder that. Deep. I'm not a psychologist, but I was wondering that while I was researching that. She just wants these women to feel like she did. Wow. When she's abusing her daughters, did she want her daughters to feel the pain that she felt growing up? Hmm. So she was inflicting it on them herself, you know? Misery loves company, they say. Yeah. So the West would start to acquire more and more bondage tools, and they would set up a space in their cellar in which to use them on their victims. So he Uh, did make a sex dungeon. He did. Their obsession with rough sex would grow, and they would start to compile a hefty collection of pornography that would end up including images and videos depicting depicting violent sex acts. Mm. Um, And some of these included rows, some of them did not. And eventually their collection would include videos uh, depicting bestiality and child sexual abuse. I mean, we already knew he was into the bestiality from, you know, his dad. Yeah. Uh, but to continue when you're not living on a farm, that's, I mean, yeah. I mean, to continue regardless. 
However, yeah. <laughs> uh, these images and videos would be left around the house in full view of the children. Now, I'm not oh, sure about the bestiality on. and the child abuse images, but definitely, like, those kids later on said, like, they saw images of their, like, pornographic images of their mother. There was porn on the, like, porn videos on the TV constantly. Like, Oh, come on. Yeah. So. And that's, oh, what kind of trauma does that give you seeing your mom like that? yikes i remember <laughs> once when i was in grade six we found a polaroid um in my friend's clo- dad's closet i and thought it was, it was going to be of your mother <laughs> i thought that's where you were going with this and i was about to say la 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 i'm not <laughs> listening <laughs> no it was my friend's dad and we like we basically did that we were like good god why <laughs> It was shocking. I can't even remember. We went and I think we were looking for like a t-shirt or something. It was just in the drawer. And so you just stumbled upon more than that. <laughs> more than we bargained for. And that was traumatizing. It wasn't even like explicit. It was like literally just standing there. Like I'm sure these like pictures. Captain they... Morgan? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> like they got the, like they had just got the Polaroid and they were like, you know what we should do? You know what? Take your pants off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> So it wasn't even anything explosive, but you can imagine that these photos that they're seeing of their mother of Rose West are probably yeah. disgusting, disgusting, hideous pictures of not only just the fact that it's their mother naked, but probably whatever she's up in to the, in, those in the crap she's doing. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. So Fred and Rose West would go on to have eleven children in total. Hold all the, the phone, eleven. Oh. How? Oh, I have so many questions. A, are they all Freds? B, how the hell are they finding time doing all of this fucking with 11 kids? She's pregnant for 12 they're years. Very they're very shitty people. It's speculated that some of the children weren't Freds, and it's more than just speculated because a lot of West, uh, like Rose's uh, clients were West Indian descent, and so many of these children were dark skinned. Mm. And Fred knew they weren't his. He knew that, and he actually liked it. Oh my god! He said that mixed race children were just a better caliber. Yeah, sure. until he murdered them, like uh, his first daughter. I keep wanting to call her Cheyenne, but it's not Cheyenne. It's Charmaine. Yeah, Charmaine. Yeah. So it's yeah speculated that some of them weren't Freds. We're pretty confident they weren't a lot of them. Uh, but it's also speculated that some of these kids could have also been fathered by Bill, Rose's own father. He's still doing that? Bill is still coming around. So when Fred and Rose first started dating, Bill obviously hated Fred. We know that. But as time went on, Bill and Fred kind of, you know, began to tolerate each other and Mm -hmm. be kind of acquainted. And then Bill found out about Rose's side hustle. And he was like, let me get in on that. And he would be, he would be one of her regular customers. Stop it. Oh my God. But, okay but she's pregnant almost the entire time of these like what in the fuck yep she is it's one thing that like every as i was reading the book and they kept saying and remember rose is heavily pregnant right now i'm like but what she's still like entertaining men like that can't be comfortable for her (laughs) and it's got to take a certain kind of man to fuck another pregnant woman like that's not your wife or your spouse your partner someone else has impregnated her and she's anyways oh god i just a lot of gross people out there rachel (laughs) a lot of gross people yeah yeah that's a fact for sure 
so all of these children that they would have, they would go on to suffer abuse at the hands of their parents. Not a single one of them were safe. And Fred and Rose were very, very careful in making sure that none of the children spoke a word about what was happening behind closed doors. Oh, gosh, those poor kids. They would go as far as isolating their children from other adults and from situations where other adults would be around and suspicions of abuse might be aroused. And this is like, to anyone out there, this is like a very clear cut sign that something might be going on. If you know an adult and they will not let you see their kids or they will not let their kids go out with anyone else, they're is a high chance that there is a problem follow your guts on that one but i will tell you it's a high high risk situation there and i mean look what happened when they did talk you know like they actually said it so yeah for these kids for finally breaking being able to break that silence yeah so yeah just be aware if you if you ever know somebody in your life that you know isn't letting anybody near their kids because that could be a bad situation and it's better to be safe than sorry. So the children were basically only allowed to play with one another and only in the back garden or in the cellar playroom. They did go to school, um, but other than that, they were only allowed around each other. The only time that the children visited with their relatives were when Fred and Rose were very close by to monitor everything they were doing and saying. Wow. Since it was Rose who was the main parent responsible for the children, so Fred was off to work and it that responsibility just always went to Rose. Discipline would come from her hands almost exclusively. Mm. The children would be beaten viciously and all the time by their mother. Oh, poor kids. And for almost no reason at all. Their son, uh, Stephen, would say that it seemed like Rose would just make up any excuses to beat him and his siblings. Like, mm. the example in the book was that uh, a washcloth would go missing and Rose would yell at them and scream at them and beat them until somebody found the washcloth. Jesus. Like a dirty rag. Like just yeah. get another one, you dummy. I would hate to know what happened to their, when their socks go missing. Cause right? no one can prevent that. No. <laughs> when the dryer eats them. <laughs> yeah. The West children would be taken to hospital with various injuries over 31 times over the years. Oh my god, and there was nobody, no professional, no no adult that said, wait a minute. No. No one from social services ever stepped in to check up on their safety and well-being, and no alarm bells were ever raised. Those, all of those professionals at that hospital are fucked. Like, not one doctor was like, how did you break your arm four times? I, I honestly do not know how, uh, that happened. It was a complete... That was, yeah, somebody dropped the ball hard. Hard. There seems to be a trend in a lot of these stories. I know, and I don't know. Maybe that just is a sign that social services is incredibly underfunded and too yeah. high of a burnout. Let me tell you, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> now, since Anne Marie was the oldest of the West children, she would be the first to experience the full level of depravity that her parents could affl- inflict on their own flesh and blood she was the old about heather amory was the oldest amory was oh, anne-marie for some reason i heard you say may west yeah no anne-marie was the oldest yeah yeah, yeah. anne-marie was just eight years old when her father and stepmother would lead her into the cellar for the first time no come on no and this is kind of what we heard anne-marie talk about last week in the clip i played yeah 
she would be tied up and raped by both her mother and her father. Or sorry, Rose is not her mother. I don't even want to like insult Amory by saying that. Rose is her stepmother. Oh. Amory said of the attack that Rose was very obviously enjoying herself. No. She was smirking and laughing throughout the entire ordeal, telling Anne-Marie, like we heard uh, last week, that it was for her own good and to stop being silly. Like, how how the hell is that for her own good? Oh, I hate her so much. And this is why I think that Rose, in her, like, weird, twisted way, was trying to, again, make others feel, bring other people down and feel that pain and that mm-hmm. suffering that she felt, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I'm not defending Rose by any stretch. She is a monster of the greatest proportions, but I really just have this strange feeling this gut feeling that that may have been part of what rose was doing but yeah could be you can't it's hard to say right so after this first attack uh rose would help Anne marie who was now in excruciating pain uh she would help her clean herself up in the bathroom and tell her that she was never to talk about what happened and that all families do this to their children oh and she and like i feel like rose believes that since that is the upbringing that her and fred had like it's just oh a hundred percent a hundred percent Anne marie would go on to be raped regularly over the next several years like it just never stopped she would be raped by not only fred but by her uncle fred's brother john john's a piece of shit too John's a piece of shit too, as well as Rose's clients. She would become, she would end up work, basically working the family business with Rose. And one, there was one story that Anne Marie told in an interview about how she, as she got older, she was entertaining the clients more, uh, more and more frequently. And there was one client that was a regular and he liked Anne Marie and he would bring her a gift of a box of chocolates. And Anne Marie, I mean, her life is so shitty. This was like one small Mm. positive thing that happened to her in her life and she was so excited to get this gift and rose wouldn't let her have it rose ate them all in front of her because she's what a piece of shit yeah and there's so many other just horrific things that happened to Anne marie i'm not gonna go into detail about them because they're absolutely awful they're sickening um, Howard Soons does go into a great amount of detail about these in his book. Anne Marie talks very openly about them in interviews um, after this event. Again, I'm not going to go into everything that happened, but it's horrific. She, the fact that she is still, she's a freaking legendary queen that she can still get herself up every Function day and, and day, live her yeah. life. Yeah. So, like, bravo oh. to her. She is legendary. But this would go on until about the age of 15 when Anne-Marie finally left home for good. Wow. Yeah. Um, if you guys replaced by Heather, I'm sure. Well, yeah. Um, if you guys want to learn more, obviously, I'm going to link everything again uh, below in the show notes. So you can go on and, and there's lots of information out there if you want to learn more about that. So Anne-Marie would run away from home in 1979 after enduring a particularly severe beating from Rose to her stomach just days after being discharged from the hospital for treatment of an ectopic pregnancy. Oh my god, the pain. This pregnancy was believed to be the result of being raped by Fred. So there's that on top of you've just, you've found out you're pregnant by your dad, you've had an ectopic pregnancy, you've had a termination, and now you're being beat by your stepmother on the stomach afterwards. Oh my god! Horrific. 
After Anne-Marie left home, it would be the West's younger daughters who would take her place and face unimaginable, unimaginable abuse at the hands of their own parents. In May of 1992, Fred would rape one of his younger daughters. I believe it's his daughter named Louise, but I heard there in different sources it was one of the other daughters, so I'm not 100% sure. But after she reported the rape to her mother, Rose was very indifferent about it, obviously. She basically just said to her daughter, well, what did you expect? And this is what happens kind of thing. Mm. Uh, the The daughter that this happened to would end up confiding in one of her close school friends about the rape. And thankfully, this friend would tell her mother who then reported the rape to the police. Oh, thank fuck. A finally, finally. A responsible adult. Yes. The police would go to the West home under the guise that they were searching for stolen property. Their search uncovered various sex toys and pornography, but nothing that would confirm what the child had said about being raped by her father or to really show that anything illegal was going on there. Nevertheless, the daughter did give a statement to the police about the sexual abuse she had suffered and all of the West children were subsequently subsequently placed in foster care the following day, thankfully. Thank God somebody's out there doing their job this Finally, time. Finally, CPS stepped it up. Medical exams were carried out on the children at this point, and they revealed evidence of both sexual and physical abuse. Mm-hmm. They, The children would tell so- social workers that their mother was the main perpetrator of, physical, of the physical abuse, and both parents would regularly threaten the children if they ever told anyone what was going on. They would find themselves buried under the patio like Heather. So that's where we started this whole thing. Mm -hmm. This is how they found out about Heather. Um, And just going back to the point that, like I said, the children would tell social workers about Rose and her physical abuse. And one thing that I read and heard in some interviews uh, while researching this was that the kids actually, like, they were terrified of Rose, but they had this like strange, like love and trust in their father because he wasn't physically abusive to them. He may have been sexually abusing them, but he wasn't beating on them. He wasn't hurting them and he wasn't violent with them. Mm. And so it's just a very weird dynamic there. He's still abusive. He's still Mm -hmm. doing things that are completely inappropriate, but because Rose was so terrifying and violent it was they just felt very differently about Fred right it's just interesting right when when Mm -hmm. so much of this dysfunction is normalized how you start to feel in those situations about these people that that's like Stockholm syndrome right like you you like your abuser or whatever yeah your captors right you start to yeah Uh, Both Fred and Rose were arrested, and Rose was charged with child cruelty, inciting her husband to engage in sex with a child, and obstruction of justice, while Fred was charged with buggery and three counts of rape. I'm assuming buggery is sodomy. But also, so she... Okay, I don't even want it. He was charged with rape, but only three counts? Like, come on. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. okay. This is 1992, remember. 92? We've already... Okay. Yeah, we've jumped up to 92. There's a reason for that but we'll get there. Okay. Rose would end up being granted bail as long as she had no contact with her children, husband, or stepdaughter. Fred would be held on remand in Birmingham while awaiting trial. When Anne Marie heard the news of what was happening with her family, she would call and give a statement to Detective Constable Hazel Savage detailing the extensive physical, mental, and sexual abuse she had endured as a child. And Detective Constable uh, Hazel Savage is 
plays a really big role in this case. She does not give up. She's a savage. She is a savage. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of what happens in this is, is credited to her um, and not giving up on this investigation. So Anne Marie would agree to testify against both parents at their upcoming trial. And she would also tell detective Hazel about her search for her mother, Rena Costello Mm -hmm. and her sister, Charmaine, who had gone missing over 20 years prior as well, as well as her sister, Heather West, all of which she believed to have been murdered by Fred and Rose. And she said that to, to Madame Savage? She did. Wow. That yeah. damn dog again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, dog. This is when the police decided that they would start looking for Heather, who hadn't been seen since 1987, at, because they wanted to corroborate the allegations of abuse against Fred and Rose. So at this point, they're saying, okay, well, we don't know if she's died. We don't know if she's been murdered, but we know she definitely hasn't been seen since 1987. And she where did be... they say she was? Like, we'll all get of a sudden there. there's... Okay. We're getting there. That's why I said there's a reason why I'm kind of jumping in time here, but we are going to get there. And yeah, so they wanted to find her because if anything, she could be a really good witness to substantiate all these claims of abuse coming from the children, right? Just mm-hmm. another witness to really build this case. So they really wanted to go out and start looking for Heather. Now... When Fred and Rose were asked about Heather's whereabouts, they would give conflicting statements, sometimes saying they didn't know where she was. And then they would say that she was a lesbian who had run off with a lover and that she was a prostitute and a drug dealer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They just kept changing their story. They couldn't say anything straight. The more the police searched for Heather West, the more they began to believe that she wasn't alive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Uh, this was because they had checked like her social security number. They had checked her bank statements. Like there was just signs. that like, something's not right here. She hasn't been to a doctor. She hasn't had a job. She hasn't used any money. She would have been in her twenties by now. Right. Yeah. yeah in the nineties. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Cause in 1987, she would have been 17. So, right. so she's yeah. like 22, 23. Yeah. yeah. Now, eventually the pending trial against the West fell apart due to the fact that both Anne Marie and her younger sister declined to testify at the trial against their parents. They were likely scared and just terrified of Rose and Fred. However, the police were not going to give up. They had a really bad feeling about Fred and Rose and they really felt like they needed to crack the case of what happened to Heather here. So we're going to jump ahead in time even further to February 24th, 1994. Mm. This is when Detective Constable Savage, as well as the other police officers involved in this, would come banging on the door of 25 Cromwell Street looking for Fred. Now, he was away working that day, but they were met with Rose at the door. They informed her that they were looking for their daughter, Heather, who had gone missing in 1987. So Heather was described as being a kind and gentle and quiet girl who often kept to herself. She did have friends at school, but would reveal few details of her life at home to these friends. Obviously, that had been drilled into her from a young age. You don't talk about what happens at home. But even with this, it was obvious to those who knew her well that something just wasn't quite right with Heather. Mm -hmm. She did once confide in a girlfriend about the sexual abuse she had experienced at the hands of Fred. But when when her friend's parents told Fred and Rose about this... They just laughed it off, said it was absurd. This is preposterous. She has a wild imagination. And yeah, the friend's parents. Imagine that. Yeah. And 
this friend's parents, they were also friends of Fred and Rose. So they just kind of took that at face value and accepted it and moved on. And like, this is just another lost opportunity where it's like, if somebody had just taken this seriously, we wouldn't be here right now. But actually, though, here we are. So Mm -hmm. at home, Heather was known to be headstrong and independent. And when she would often refuse to have sex with Fred. And this was like infuriating to rose and fred it would send them into a blind rage and it would also gain heather the label of lesbian by her parents because oh you don't want to fuck your dad you must be a lesbian you must be a total lesbian oh and i don't understand because rose regularly had sex with women consenting or not both ways she and identified as being bisexual so i don't understand rose but whatever When Heather was a teenager, she would often tell her friends that she wanted to run away and live in the woods. She would attempt to leave home around the age of 15, but she quickly returned, realizing that life on the street was just as hard as being in the last home, so why not just go home? Mm -hmm. As time went on, word about Rose's prostitution business started to get out around the school, and children, like the other kids at Heather's school, were starting to ask questions about what was going on at her house. Heather would let- teachers hearing this? Like, what the fuck? (laughs) They probably already all knew, but you know how kids are, right? Like, oh, I heard her, her mom is like doing other men upstairs in the bedrooms, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So Heather would let slip some, that some of the rumors were true. And when Fred and Rose found out about this, they were pissed at her. And they thought if Heather was willing to talk about this with her friends, what else would she tell them about her home life? So she must be stopped. Yeah. Well, from this point on, Heather was escorted to and from school by her parents so that she they could exert control over her and be sure that during that free time she wasn't speaking to anyone and she was never allowed to leave the house after school anyways. Yeah. So um, but in 1986, it would seem that Heather had officially had enough and she broke her silence again to another friend about the abuse that she was facing at home. However, she did swear this friend to secrecy and said, please don't tell anyone. I don't want to get in trouble. But it seemed as though she was really crying out for help at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, school would end three weeks after this. And this was the last time any of Heather's friends would ever oh, see her. No. Now, with school over, Heather was more determined than ever to find a job and get the hell out of her parents' house. And when she was 16, she was offered a job working at a holiday camp and was so excited because it would get her out of the home and she would be living at this camp and working and wouldn't have to be there. But the job would end up falling through and Heather was left with no other choice than to stay in the house of horrors with these evil monsters that unfortunately were her parents. Yikes. Poor girl. Now, during this time, Heather would become more and more withdrawn and, you know, sullen and despondent. Her brother-in-law, Chris, and Marie's husband, would try to help Heather and offer to confront her parents or even go to the police. And Heather would tell him not to say anything, telling him, if you do that, they will kill us both. Wow. In June of 1987, while the rest of the West kids headed off to school, Heather was at home with her mom and dad all by herself. And it's not known exactly what went down that day. But at some point, Heather was murdered, presumably after an argument with her parents. Rest in peace, Heather. Fred would dismember, decapitate, and bury his daughter in the garden behind the house. Later, he would lay down a patio on top of her grave. That's heartless. Like, the whole, you know, I mean, obviously it's heartless, but, like, to be able to decapitate your own daughter and then lay 
concrete above her Oh, come on. When the other children returned home from school that day, Fred and Rose would tell them that their sister had left and that that job at the holiday camp, actually, she got the call, was back on. She left and she went She went off to work there. And as time went on their, and their sister still didn't return, the West would come up with a variety of excuses as to where their daughter was. One of which, again, was that she ran off with a lesbian lover to Wales, which is a very specific lie. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And they would tell, like, make up. So anyone that asked about Heather, they would just make up different stories. Like, one day it would be the lesbian in Wales. One day it would be that she's, you know, a drug mule in Belize. Mm-hmm. Another day she would be a prostitute in Scotland. You know, like, it's just... I don't even Too think at this lies. point. Too many, Too many lies. lies. They didn't know what they were saying. Yeah. So on that fateful day in February of 1994, seven years after Heather had last been seen, when the police came to check up on the whereabouts of Heather, they explained to Rose that there had been allegations made that she was buried beneath the patio and that they wanted to dig it up. This is, of Damn. course, because the children told that to the social worker. Yeah. yeah. Rose would tell the police that the idea that Heather was buried in the backyard was preposterous and that she was a troublemaker and a lesbian with a drug addiction. Again, why? Why does she think, especially in the 90s, does she think that saying, come on, she's a lesbian? Yeah. <laughs> she's obviously not. Like, oh, well, then never mind. Yeah, Have never mind. Day. Guess, yeah. Sorry to bother like, you. Anyways, I don't understand. After the police left the house, Rose would immediately call Fred, who was more concerned about the police cleaning up any mess they made in the garden than whether or not they found his daughter. He better not overturn those flowers. Yeah. Well, because at this point, they're like in total denial. They're very much in the, the, with the idea of making sure that they maintain that story that she is not in the garden. Mm-hmm. And that reason will come clear very soon. Fred and Rose would stay up late that whole night and they would go for long walks with the dogs, tr- likely trying to get their story straight because they would just be up all night talking, according to their kids. The next day, uh, Fred would turn himself into the police and would tell them the wild story of what happened to Heather. He would go into great detail about how he killed her and what he did to her body. So he's essentially gone to the police station, Damn. turned himself in and confessed. I was not expecting that. No. He told them that after she died, he decapitated her, dismembered her, and then put her in the garden. He would also remove her fingers and kneecaps, just like we said before. The kneecap thing, man. That's just... I know. It's fucked. He told police it was an accident. They had an argument. He didn't mean to kill her. But somehow, she ended up being strangled by accident. And then I cut her head off. By accident. The fuck? And then I took all her fingers. By accident. Uh, During his police interview in which he confessed to Heather's murder, Fred was very insistent, very insistent, that Rose had no idea and was in no way involved with what happened to Heather. I smell a big fat lie. (laughs) While Fred was at the police station, investigators had arrived and they started digging up the back garden. Yeah. Good call. Here, Here they would find evidence, the evidence that they were looking for in the form of femur bones mm. but there's a twist they were not heathers they were heathers oh but they found three femurs oh lord she her femur was not alone this would tell investigators that perhaps heather was not the only victim buried at 25 cromwell street and to 
quote an investigator that is in almost every single like television documentary about this. And I wish I had written this guy's name down, but he's in all of them. He says, unless this girl had three legs, I think we got a much bigger problem on our hands here. (laughs) And I swear to God, this guy, I, I wish I had written his name down, but I know like ever since I've ever heard of this case in every documentary I've ever watched on it, that guy's in it, and he says that line. Oh, man. <laughs> so, He's probably really proud of that line. He is very proud of that line. So when confronted with the discovery of the third thigh bone uh, in the garden, Fred confessed to two more murders. Mm. Rena was, and Charmaine. Was not Rena and Charmaine. God damn it. So he would confess to two more murders. Fred confessed to the murder of a former tenant and a lover of his, Shirley Robinson, and another young yeah, and another young girl who he only identified as Shirley's mate. It would turn out this was not Shirley's friend. They did not know each other. This was a young girl. She was only 15 years old. Her name was Allison Chambers. With the discovery of the other two dead bodies, the decision was made that they needed to search every square inch of Cromwell Street. Thank goodness. No, sorry, of 25 Cromwell Street, not the whole street. The house. <laughs> right, 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 right. Rose was relocated to a safe house in a nearby town while the police set out to uh, searching that entire property. Why does that bitch get a safe house? You put, put her at in a danger point, house. At this point... Fred has said she has nothing to do with it, and they have no reason to be- to believe otherwise. Right. They will. They will. They'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> so she was relocated to a safe house, and while the search of the property was taking place, Fred was being extensively questioned by investigators for upwards of 16 hours a day. Good. And guys. No, no rest for the wicked, damn it. I'm not including them all on here because they're very, he has a very, very heavy accent. And even when I had my phone pressed right up to my ear with the speaker right there, I had a very hard time understanding Fred West. But there are uh, recordings of every interview that he did. And you can find like almost all of them online. So I'm going to put links to all of the ones I found and you guys can listen to Fred West himself. If you want to hear him talking about this, it's it's actually quite interesting, especially when we get to another twist at the end. Uh (laughs) Yeah. He would be assisted by his lawyer, Howard Ogden, as well as a woman named Janet Leach. She was called his appropriate adult. Do you want to take a stab at what that means? I absolutely do, you know, do want to take a stab at do that. Do you know what it is? No. However, okay. okay. Give me the context again. She's so, so he would be assisted during police interviews or accompanied by his lawyer, Howard Ogden. And he would also be accompanied by a woman named Janet Leach. She was appointed as his appropriate adult. So is that like his like... <sighs> not guardian but there's a word for it um power of attorney type thing like that you she's like there to advocate on his behalf and like make sure that he is treated kind and fair he is not being taken advantage of or Mm -hmm. and the reason for that the brain injury the brain injuries and the fact that he was like illiterate and had an iq of like 12 or what was my iq again oh yeah brown (laughs) (laughs) he had an iq of brown like me (laughs) can you (laughs) imagine can you imagine how difficult that job would be to 
advocate for a guy like Fred. And he loved her. And you know what? One of the things that came out afterwards is that she looked so much like Aunt, like Anna McFall. And they think that the reason why he loved her and trust... Not that he never came out and said, Janet Leach, I love you. But he was so... He felt so safe with her and trusted her mm-hmm. so much. And they think it was because she looked so much like Anna McFall. We'll have like to look at pictures. Victim. The first victim that he claimed to be his first true love and the love of his life and blah, 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 blah. Um, and people speculate that that's why he trusted Janet Leach so much. Because he did, we'll get to it, but he confessed a lot of shit to her that he wasn't telling police. And while it's not, uh, there is no, um, like attorney client privilege between an appropriate adult and mm-hmm. who they're you know supporting she didn't have to um withhold anything from the police oftentimes they do to to keep that trust yeah in the relationship until it they they need to you know give that information over so he told her a lot of stuff Jesus. oh how i won't get into all of it and i'm gonna She's talk gonna have about nightmares some... for the rest of her life oh yeah her... I'm going to talk about a few things later, but I'm not going to say it here. So she was appointed as the appropriate adult and Fred would soon authorize his lawyer to give a note to the lead investigator on the case that he wished to confess further to nine killings. Ah. So the note, which was dated March 4th, 1994 said, I, Frederick West, authorized my solicitor, Howard Ogden, to advise Superintendent Bennett that I wish to admit a further approximately nine killings expressly Charmaine, Rena, Linda Goff, and others to be identified, which is sad because he can't even tell the nine names. Yeah. Others to be identified. This this isn't your resume. References upon request. Others to be identified. Fuck off. Once you dig them up. He probably like again he probably doesn't even remember their names. In a quarter probably didn't know them to begin with. Yeah. One thing I read was that he would refer to a lot of the, once they did start finding the victims, he would refer to many of them as like, there was one victim and we'll talk about her soon, but she, he believed her to be Dutch. So he called her Tulip. He would call another one like scar hands or something like that. Cause she had something on her hands. Like he didn't even know their names and it's, he's just a fuck. He's a fuck. He is the biggest fuck. The fuck. I have to open my second beer. Here we go. I'll take a drink. A little ASMR for you guys. No. That was a little. That was perfect. (laughs) Was it? It sounded good? Because to me, it sounded very anticlimactic. No, it was the perfect. (laughs) This one's good, guys. It's a Hops and Robbers Grapefruit IPA. I like it. This box wine is delicious too. <laughs> I bet it is. My favorite box wine. Hell yeah. Okay, so who were these other victims that Fred was going to identify? You ask. Mm-hmm. I do ask. We are going to talk about them now. And I am not going to go into great detail. Of course, trigger warning sexual assault is heavy in this, but it's not going to be detailed, graphic, anything like that. Um, I will tell you that each and every one of these girls, because most of them were girls, some of them were women, they faced a fate worse than death, in my opinion, uh, at 25 Cromwell Street. 
And it's not entirely known what each victim suffered specifically at the hands of Fred and Rose West, but we can assume that each and every one of these poor women and girls were sub, uh, subjected to hours, sometimes even days, of sexual torture, abuse, hum humiliation, fear, and the absolute worst kind of depravities you could ever imagine before they died, all inflicted at the hands of Fred and Rose West. Uh, and and keep in mind, she's pregnant. She's pregnant for a lot of these. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yes. Holy shit. And we'll see that each of these victims, they had their vulnerabilities that would make them easy targets for the West and that they were able to be easily manip- or sorry, that Fred and Rose were able to manipulate these women and girls mm -hmm. into believing that if they just accepted their ride or came over to their house, that they would be safe. And this is because- one of the, the things that they did um, in order to lure these girls, which you, we've seen this in cases like Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka, uh, Myra Henley and, and uh, Ian Brady, the Moore's murder, murderers, even with the case of Colleen Stan, that when you see a husband and wife driving in a car together, as a woman, you might feel more safe because it's the man driving with his wife. They're a nice yeah. couple. They're going to take me somewhere safe. They're going to take me where I want to go. They're yes. not do anything to me. Yeah. They, they purposely did this, Fred and Rose, because they knew that. They knew that, that these girls would feel safe with Rose in the car. And yeah. They're literally professional shit bags. Ugh. Yeah. It's gross. And Rose is... In my opinion, Rose is even more despicable than Fred in a lot of these cases. She is, she's the worst. The absolute worst. Ugh. Anyways, the first victim we're going to talk about is a girl named Linda Goff. She is the daughter of John and June Goff. And she is described as being a bit of a difficult child. And she was a bit of a rebel. She had recently dropped out of school at the time that she met Fred and Rose. At the age of 16, she went to work as a seamstress. And by the age of 17, her parents had said that Linda, she was starting to experience a bit of a notable change in her behavior. And they thought that the best thing that they could do for her is allow her some, some more freedom. So this is around 19, in early 1970s. And so it was a different time younger you know kids are yeah. being like going out on their own they're doing these things so um her parents really thought that they were doing what was best for her uh linda was in a relationship at the time with one of the lodgers of number 25 because remember they had the bed sets at the yeah. in their house yeah. and she would become friendly with the west over the time that she was dating this uh lodger there uh fred and rose would soon tell linda that they were looking for a nanny as their former nanny had left, for reasons we will talk about later. She's killed. No, she wasn't, but oh. we will talk about her later. And Linda would take over the position of caring for the couple's children. Linda was really friendly with the West leading up to her assault and murder, and sometimes she would even consensually participate in sexual encounters with the couple. Mm. It's believed that at some point, a sexual encounter turned incredibly violent, and Linda was taken to the cellar. Her face would be taped up and she would be suspended from the rafter, the rafters in the basement and sexually tortured for hours in some of the most horrific ways you can imagine. Her face is taped up. Like they would wrap tape around her face. And they know this because when they found Linda's body, the tape would still be on her face, would be on her head. And what, like for what purpose? Maybe I can understand her mouth and maybe her eyes, but her whole face? Her whole face. 
fucked up. I'll get there in a in a in a little bit about why they speculate they did this. Mm-hmm. Um, but this torture would be carried out by both Fred and Rose equally, with Rose believed to be the one deriving the most pleasure from inflicting pain on her victim. Fred and Rose would assault and torture Linda until she eventually died. And after Linda's death, the couple would set up, set out to cover up their crime as they always did. Rose would sort through Linda's clothing, throw out what she didn't want and keep the rest. Mm. Fred would dispose of Linda's body. She would be dismembered and placed in the old inspection pit in their garage. So in the garage behind their house, there was, you know, like when you go in to get an oil change, there's sometimes that pit they can get in and under your car. So she would be put in there. Eventually that would be filled in. Well, it was filled in after they put her in there. It was never an at like a, they never used, yeah, they Mm. never used that as an inspection pit. So once she died, they put her in, they buried her, done. After two weeks of hearing nothing from their daughter, because Linda's parents did know that she had moved in with the West, but they hadn't heard anything from her since then. Mm -hmm. And so they went there looking for Linda and when Rose answered the door that day, she and Fred would tell the the Goffs that they had no idea where Linda had gone and that she had just like up and left the flat one day, never to return. However, she was wearing her he, shirt. Yes. <laughs> she knew was, it. She was, it wasn't her shirt. She was wearing her slippers and her cardigan. And when Linda's mother looked in the backyard, she could see into the back garden and her underwear was hanging. And so she was like, well, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you wearing her things? Oh, she left them for me. She said I could have them. She said she she told you you could keep my underwear. And you did? If you're just like up and leaving, you're not, maybe you're going to leave some clothes, but you might want to take your underwear. Where are you going without any clean underwear, Linda? No, but also, this is bullshit, Rose. It's totally you're not, unbelievable. Who who wears hand-me-down underwear like that? I yeah, Rose, you're an idiot. Anyways, they would continue to talk, and the West ended up telling the Goffs that. So then their story changed a little bit. They ended up telling Linda's parents that while Linda was caring for their daughter Anne Marie, because at this time Anne Marie is still little, mm-hmm. Linda struck the child. So Fred and Rose actually kicked her out of the house, which is pretty rich considering what they do to their own kids. Yeah, really. God damn it. Rose. We'll beat the shit out of them. But if anyone else lays a finger on them, you're out of here. Right. Fuckers. Anyways, Linda's mother left the West home, not knowing what to think and was feeling pretty hopeless. However, they would never give up hope that they would find their daughter alive and continue to search for Linda the entire 21 years until her body was finally discovered. Wow. That must Hidden... have been torture for those poor parents. Oh, yeah. So 21 years they waited and then they finally found the body in, at Ugh. Cromwell Street in that garage. So yikes rest in peace linda the next victim that would go missing was a girl named uh carol ann cooper or kaz as she liked to be called she was only 15 years old when she was abducted Mm. on november 10th of 1973 Uh, she lived in pines children's home in worcester uh or worcester i don't know how to say it guys Is is that where worcestershire sauce is from Yes, but I think it's Worcester. Worcester. Worcester? Anyways, I can't. We can't go on like this. We're just going to say 
Worcester. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> anyway, she so she was living in Pine's children home, children's home, and was abducted after spending the evening at a cinema with her boyfriend. Now we'll see that there's some children's home in children's homes in this area, and there's quite a few other victims that come from different children's home in the area because they knew to prey on this vulnerability. Absolutely, right? these there's children didn't have look for them. Right. Um. So. Kaz had been waiting for a bus in Warrenden when she vanished, and it's believed that Fred and Rose likely offered her a ride after she got off the bus close to her grandmother's house where she was spending the weekend. She was kind of on a leave from the children's home. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not entirely known what happened to her once Fred and Rose got her back to Cromwell Street, but we can assume that she too faced the same horrors of text. Uh, torture, sexual assault, and ultimately murder at the hands of the West. Mm-hmm. Carol Ann would be dismembered and buried in the cellar. When her body was found, she still had the gag wrapped around her head, as well as the pieces of rope used to bind her arms. Oh my gosh. Fred would remove her hands, feet, a cervical bone, and a breastbone to presumably keep as souvenirs like he did with the other bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, rest in peace, Kaz. In Carol Ann's case, her stepmother did report her missing. Um, it was well known that Carol Ann had run away many times before, but it was never for this long, and she didn't bring any of her things with her, so that was suspicious. Mm-hmm. A search was conducted in the Worcester area where Carol Ann lived, but lived, but when they came up empty-handed, and since there was no reason to believe that she would be in Gloucester, or Gloucester, sorry, her disappearance remained a mystery until her body was discovered decades later at 25 Cromwell Street. Oh my gosh. Now, the next girl to go missing was Lucy Purnington, and she came from a different background than the other victims. She actually came from an upper middle class background, and it was just completely different than the victim profile that Fred and West usually would go to. But mm-hmm. she was a trusting girl, so in that way, she was vulnerable. Right. right? Okay. Yeah. So in 1973, Lucy was 21 years old and had come from come home from Exeter University to spend the Christmas holidays with her mother in Costwold village of Gretton near Chelten- Cheltenham. Cheltenham? Uh, Cheltenham. 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 On December 27th, 1973, Lucy had gone out shopping with her brother before going to visit a friend of hers who lived nearby. At 10.15 p.m. that night, Lucy would leave her friend's house and walk to the bus stop just three minutes away from where oh, she was. Oh, come on. Three minutes. It's believed that Lucy missed her bus that night and that Fred and Rose had spotted her and offered her a lift. And it's also believed that because it was so close to Christmas that they may have had some of their children with them, which is why Lucy agreed to get in the car. Because she was smart, right? Yeah. She was level-headed. Not saying that these other girls weren't, but she wasn't, didn't have the same kind of vulnerabilities as them where, you know, especially to get into the car with strangers. Yeah. But because there were children... Because there were children in there, she may have felt more safe. Right. And, you know, was almost felt absolutely confident that she was safe because of that. Who's going to murder me in front of all these kids? Yeah. Right. Just like the two, the last two victims, it's not known how she ended up at 25 Cromwell Street, but it's speculated that she was probably incapacitated while she was in the car. Uh, They think that she was probably punched in the face by Fred and then held down on the seat until they Mm. arrived. She would be brought down to the cellar and would face the same fate as those who came before her 
and this time it's believed that Lucy may have been kept in the cellar for as long as seven days, facing various forms of torture and abuse until she died as a result. And this is because Fred had come into the hospital at one point with an injury, and so when they um, compared medical records to disappearances of these different victims later, they think that that injury that he had seven days after she had gone missing was likely from when he was dismembering her body. Oh my gosh. Now, Lucy's mother did file a missing persons report immediately after her disappearance and an extensive search was conducted, but because they didn't know to be looking anywhere near where the West live, mm-hmm. lived and there was no reason for her to be near there, mm-hmm. no sign of her was ever recovered until later. Rest in peace, Lucy. You poor, poor soul. Victim number, I think we're at four here, is Therese uh, Siegenthaler. She was a 21-year-old sociology student at Woolwich College of Further Education in Southeast London. She was a very strong-willed, intelligent, and self-confident young girl. And um, again, not the, the typical victim type for Fred and Rose. So... In April of 1974, she left London to hitchhike to Holyhead in North Wales, and she was going to catch a ferry to Ireland to meet with a Catholic priest. What? Her friends had warned her of the dangers of hitchhiking, but she told them that she was a judo expert and could handle her damn self, and she probably could. I love her for that. Yes, me too. But she would meet her match when she was picked up by Fred and Rose on her way to the ferry. Oh, no. Her disappearance was reported to police, and it was clear based on her bank statements and other evidence that Therese uh, had no intention of just running away. Like, she had purchased theater tickets. She had hotel rooms booked. She had these different things going on in her life. vacation. Yeah, she was not running away. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately, again, because she had planned this trip to Ireland, the police were searching in areas that they believe she would have traveled in order to get to that ferry and with no reason to believe that she would be anywhere near in that Gloucester area where Fred and Rose lived. Yeah. They never even thought to look there. And she had no connection to the West either. Right. Like some of these girls had connections to the West, but she did not. She was just a random. Yeah. Number five is Shirley Hubbard. She was born in 1959 in Birmingham and was placed into the care, into like a care home at the age of two when her parents separated. Wow. She was placed into a foster home with a man named, yeah, I know, I didn't understand that. Yeah. Like Things must have been different. We're going to give up your kid? Yeah. So you're going to have to put her in, in foster care. That's weird. Nevertheless, she was uh, placed into foster care with a man named John Hubbard and his wife, and she actually ended up taking on the Hubbard last name, although her legal name was Lloyd, but when this was all going on, she's referred to as Shirley Hubbard. Mm -hmm. So she was 15 and a half years old when she went missing in November of 1974. She was known to be a rebellious kid with a history of running away, but she would always return home. Now, she was beautiful and had many different boyfriends Hmm. uh, like at school and and around. Mm So on the day that she disappeared, she had actually scheduled, had actually scheduled to go on a date with her boyfriend at the time named Daniel Davis. But when she didn't show up at the agreed meeting spot, Daniel assumed that she had just found something else to do and had gotten on with his day. He waited for a bit, but then was just like, well, I guess she doesn't want to see me. So bye. I stood up. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's not known how Shirley uh, 
encountered the West as she was not known to have any connection to them whatsoever. But it's assumed that once again, Fred and Rose offered her a ride and she accepted, thinking that they were just a harmless couple out for a drive that day. When Shirley's body was uncovered in the cellar, she had been dismembered and her decapitated head had been found with her entire face wrapped in packing tape. She had rubber tubes inserted into her nose through holes that were cut into the tape. And it's presumed... Well, what they presume, because remember you were asking about why the tape around the yeah, head. Yeah, it's presumed. Home. Well, it's presumed that the West had gotten this idea from bondage magazines they read, which featured pictures of women in tight leather masks with tubes that allowed them to breathe. Mm-hmm. Or there would be holes, zipper holes. But what they don't, I think they're not getting here, is that they're using tape and like just random shit to do this. Whereas these uh, bondage suits are designed specifically yeah yeah like they're made specifically for to be used safely not just to duct tape somebody's face leg yeah Yeah. not some macgyvered fucking shit that you're putting together in your basement what's the um american horror story that the the gimp suit yeah 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 that's probably what they're thinking they're doing when really they're just like who needs money? We can make our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Fucking pieces of shit. A search for Shirley was conducted by local police, but no signs of her were ever found until, you know, 20 she years later found. when she was discovered in the cellar. Rest in peace, what? Shirley. Yeah. Juanita Mott would go missing next. And she did come from a broken home and had left school at the age of 15, hoping to find work and move out, out on her own. She actually became a lodger for some time at the bed sits at 25 Cromwell Street due to the low rate of accommodations. Now, they were renting out rooms to women for just seven pounds per week, which oh, is pretty cheap. Yeah. I mean, it's going to cost you your life, but yeah, that's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> now, even after she left the bed seat, the, the bed set there, she would still regularly visit the other lodgers, and many of which were young females like her. So at this point, they were basically renting exclusively to young females and one of the reasons they gave for this was that the male lodgers were like bringing drugs and shit into the house and they wanted nothing to do with that the police were coming by too often to do raids and we don't want any marijuana but i'm gonna beat and kill you and rape you yeah but okay my question is is this cellar soundproof no how and I know you fuck? were going to ask, many <laughs> of the lodgers knew about Rose's side business. And so, so they, they, they would hear things. Were Rose? They thought it was like sex games. They weren't sure what they were hearing. And many of like them later, big many, diff- many of them later did come out and say that they felt tremendous amounts of guilt because they truly felt thinking back hindsight is 2020 and they truly felt that they should have done something but to keep in mind they were kids themselves they Um, were 17 18 19 years old some of them maybe early 20s but many of them were just minding their own business getting on with their life cheap this was cheap accommodations the landlords were you know okay-ish right so i just want to say for the record I feel like there would be a a huge distinction between sex screams and torture screams. Like I feel like that there's there's a difference. 
I, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying, you know. I wholeheartedly agree in. with you. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't. I don't want to judge them because who knows what you would do in that situation. But you know, as a young it's person, reminding you know, me, of, it's reminding me of Kitty Genevieve's a little bit here. Yeah, that people they heard things but didn't want to get involved. That's what I was just gonna say. There's that yeah. bystander because, like, I get it. If you're hearing torture screams as a young seventeen year old girl, you're gonna probably be like, "I know nothing. I hear nothing," because you're going to be next if that's the case, right? So, like, I get 100%. it. I get it. Yeah. But I'm just saying. I'm sure they, I'm sure there's people there that knew. I, I can almost guarantee it. Yeah. And they're not high, they're not going to rent to the men because the men will beat them up, probably. They're useless to them unless Rose is fucking them, which she did regularly when they had Right, but I'm just saying they're there. probably a lot stronger than these 17-year-old girls. And it's clear they they weren't interested in abusing, raping, torturing men. Men. Rose enjoyed having sex with men. Mm. There's no denying that. She had sex with men all the time. She had sex with her husband all the time. That wasn't something she didn't enjoy. But what they truly enjoyed was the... The unconsensual sex with the women. Right, right. They were sexual sadists, like, to the Mm. highest degree. And so that's what really got them off. I feel like that other sex, that uh, that consensual sex with, you know, men more or less around. Because remember, at this point, even in like in the early 70s, and I mean, I think by the time Rose was, like this was all done, Rose was only in her early 40s. She's only in her mid-20s during this time. Right. Pregnant early as 20s. day is long. Yeah. Jesus so <laughs> she, uh, yeah, like she that sex didn't where she would enjoy herself what really got her off was that rape that torture, torture. That abuse. so yeah fucking gross um, so yeah so Juanita Mott she you know lived at the she lived at the uh bed set for a while and even when she moved out she would still come back visit her friends that still live there and she was 18 years old in the spring of 1975 when she disappeared it's believed that Fred and Rose had taken an interest in her during her time spent at the bedsit and would get to know her usual routine. So, you know, like where she would wait to, you know, hitchhike a ride home or where she would go to wait for the bus, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, they think that they waited outside her usual hitchhiking spot and then would coincidentally be there to offer her a ride home. Like, Aww. oh, fancy meeting you here. Would you like a ride? What are the and odds? Be- Juanita would have never suspected a thing because they were always kind to her when Mm -hmm. she was over at their house. Mm -hmm. Um, Juanita would be suspended from the ceiling in the cellar using a series of elaborately knotted ropes. And it's speculated that she probably suffocated or hung due to the nature of her suspension in the basement. Oh my gosh. It's also speculated that she could have been killed from blunt force trauma due to an injury that they did discover on the back of her skull after they um, uncovered her body there. Yeah. Nevertheless, Juanita was killed by the West, dismembered and buried in the cellar, just like the others came before her. And they, the reason why I brought up the ropes was because when they found, was because when they found her body, she was actually buried with these lengths of, of rope that were used to tie her up along with a pair of women's underwear, weirdly, just like thrown in there, not wearing them, just thrown in there. Yeah. Unfortunately, Juanita. Yeah. Unfortunately, her disappearance wouldn't really ever be reported to police, although I did um, hear that her sister 
uh, never gave up and was always searching for her. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. At least somebody was searching for her. Mm. Shirley Ann Robinson would be the next to go missing. And like many of the West previous victims, Shirley had a troubled background and was vulnerable to being taken advantage of by Fred and Rose. Mm. She had lived with her father, but by the age of 13, she had already left home and was already engaging in sex work. Very reminiscent of Rena, I feel like. Very similar. At the age of 15, she was living in a children's home in Bristol. And in 1977, she would be transferred into the care of the Gloucester Social Services. She was described as being sullen and withdrawn, and her social worker said that she had girlfriends. She was bisexual at this point, um, and these girlfriends were much older than herself. She met Rose West while she was a prostitute in Gloucester. She was 18 years old when Rose offered her a room at 25 Cromwell Street. Soon a sexual relationship began between Shirley and the West, so she would have threesomes with both Fred and Rose, and Shirley would perform sex work for the couple on a regular basis out of their home. Right. Shirley would soon become pregnant with Fred's child. What? And just keep in mind, Rose herself was pregnant, but it was with a child of one of her clients, and Fred would brag about this often. The fact that he, Shirley was pregnant with his baby, Rose was pregnant with somebody else's. That's fucked up. At one point, Fred and Shirley had devised a money-making scheme to sell their unborn child to a couple and even took pictures to place an ad for the adoption. The adoption. There are pictures of this ad, like the pictures that they took for this ad. And I will, I don't know if I'm going to post them on Instagram out of respect for Shirley because I just think, ugh. Yikes, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's illegal to sell a yeah, they, they never went through with it, obviously. Okay. Fred's an idiot. Shirley would write letters to her father in Germany telling him about her relationship with Fred and stating that this was the man that she was absolutely going to marry. Gross. And just to like, Fred is just, not just who he is as a person, he's just he's fugly and i guess to each their own but he's hideous how is he getting all these women and i'm not just talking about the victims i'm talking about all the other women that were like oh fred west why no every lid has a pot every pot has a lid i don't know you know what i mean but yeah when rose caught wind of what shirley was telling people like writing the letters to her dad in germany uh it's believed that Rose became very jealous of the relationship and told Fred she had to go. Oh, God. She would become more and more aggressive towards Shirley as time went on, and in May of 1978, Shirley would just disappear. She was eight months pregnant at the time of Fred's baby. Oh, no. Come on. Now, the cellar was pretty much filled to capacity with bodies at this point, Mm -hmm. so Fred would dismember and bury Shirley in the back garden. Some believe that Fred may have scalped Shirley as no hair was ever found with her body. And as we know, dead bodies, the hair continues to grow. It it stays there. And every other body they found had the hair with it, except for Shirley's. Wow. Now, they don't know how or who did it. Don't tell me. No, don't say it. But the skeletal remains of the unborn child were found curled up beside the body of his mother. Oh, I knew you were going to say it. I didn't know you so, were gonna say they, were, they were there, but I knew you were going to say the baby was cut out. So <laughs> they're not sure if Fred or who did it, who cut it out, but it Either was, either way, it, they're a fucking monster. It was, it was removed. 
and she's eight months pregnant, there's a chance that baby would have been alive. A hundred percent. That baby would have been alive. Yeah. Unless there was blunt trauma while in the womb, that baby would have been alive. Like rest in peace to Shirley and that baby, that precious little angel baby. Like I, oh my God, I'm sick. I'm sick. Worst of all, because Fred and Rose were basically Shirley's, you know, only connection at this point to the world besides her her father. Nobody would ever go looking for her. Not even, like, her father wouldn't go looking for her or, like, question where this unborn child was. All Fred and Rose had to do, the same with what they did with Anna McFall, the same with what they did with Rena Costello and Charmaine, was she left. She went to Germany. She went to Germany to live with her father. She's gone. No idea. No idea. Sickening. So gross. Allison Chambers would go missing next. Allison had also been living at a children's home and became acquainted with Fred and Rose after spending some time with a friend who lived at 25 Cromwell Street. Fred and Rose knew that Allison was a little naive and would be easily manipulated because of her troubled past, and they really played on her vulnerabilities. They would buy her gifts and shower her with affections. And eventually, yeah. Eventually, Allison would run away from the children's home in the middle of 1979 to live with the West. How old is she again? I think she's she's 15. Oh, God. Allison is, yeah. Allison is believed to have, li- have lived within their household for several weeks before she was murdered. And Rose promised her at one point, get this, that she could live on a farm that they owned. Oh, yeah. This peaceful farm. Obvious lie. And all of these pictures, because Rose was like, look at my farm. Look at how beautiful it is. Rose from the House and Home magazine? Yes. Well, it was from like a real estate pamphlet. (laughs) She was like, look at my farm. (laughs) Fuck off, Rose. I hate you. Allison's body was also buried in the Garden of Cromwell Street, close to the bathroom wall. Allison's disappearance was reported to police, but not as a missing person. She was reported as an absconder from care by the children's home she had run away from. So they were actually looking for her to, like, get her in trouble, not because she was a missing person. Yeah, yeah. Wow. After the murder of Allison Chambers, it would appear that it would be about nine years before the West killed again. And that would be when they murdered their daughter, Heather. Rest in peace, Allison. Rest in peace, Allison. After the murder of Allison Chambers, it would appear that it would be about nine years before the West killed again. And that would be when they murdered their daughter, Heather, in 1987. Although many believe that there may have been other murders during this time, but the bodies just haven't been located and the West have never revealed the identities of these victims should they exist. Because how Mm -hmm. do you go nine years after you're killing back to back to back to back to back? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, in nine years, you do nothing? I don't believe it. Maybe there's just too many damn kids in the house at this time. She's Maybe. Those 11 kids were born, and now they're busy. Yeah. Now, there is one other victim in this case that I'm going to talk about right now, and her name is Caroline Owens. And Caroline actually predates all of the murders that I just talked about. Really? So she was a, a victim from before even Linda Goff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one difference between Caroline and the other victims, and that is that she lived. So oh. she's she lives. She's she's not alive now. She died in 2016, but she did survive. Caroline would regularly hitchhike from Cinderford, where she lived, to Tewkesbury to visit her boyfriend Tony. And on one of these nights, when she was coming home from Tony's house in November of 1972, Fred and Rose spotted her and picked her up. 
Now, Caroline lived with her mother and stepfather in Heldine and was one of 15 children. Jesus! She was unhappy at home and looking for work and somewhere new to live in order to get out of the family home. Mm -hmm. So Fred and Rose offered her a job being a nanny for the children. Fred and Rose would come by to Caroline's house uh, with Anne-Marie and Heather with them, along with their third child, Stephen, and probably May at this point. So Stephen, I believe, was like one of Fred's sons who came to live with him and Rose, but he had a different mother. I wasn't clear on that. Nevertheless, he was there. May was there. Heather, Anne-Marie. And they would come and meet with Caroline and her mother. And Caroline thought the children were super cute. And her mother was happy with Fred and Rose, thought they were nice. And, you know, the West said, we'll take good care of Caroline. If she could just come take care of the kids, that would be great. So Caroline moved into the West home on 25 Cromwell Street. And she would end up sharing a room with Anne Marie while taking Mm. care of the kids. So it wouldn't be long until Caroline realized that this job and this whole arrangement was not going to work for her. (laughs) Now, Caroline was beautiful, okay? Beautiful young girl. And soon Rose decided that she was very sexually attracted to Caroline. She was 15. Yeah, that's gross. Fred and Rose would often uh, proposition her with sex and make inappropriate comments to her regularly. They would also stroke her hair, touch her legs, grab her boobs, just do anything they could to make Caroline feel incredibly uncomfortable. And Fred would also tell Caroline that he was able to perform abortions. And this is something that Fred was like fucking obsessed with. Like, I can do abortions. No, I always honey. do abortions. I give the best abortions. So. I... No. <laughs> and he told her he would do one for her if she wanted. And she's like, I'm not even pregnant, man. Like, hi, Fred. <laughs> like, what the fuck, dude? He's like, I know, you know, like, I know it's not like, for I know everyone. you're not pregnant, but I couldn't do an abortion. And, Rachel, abortion was legal in the 70s in the UK. So, like, well, why? For not even back alleying it, and she's not pregnant. So, <laughs> not pregnant. like, I know that it's not for everyone, but if you want, I can do an abortion. You don't even need to have a baby in you. I can you don't even do need it. to be pregnant. You yeah. Just do it. Eventually, Caroline would have enough, and she would leave the West home. Thank goodness. But on December 6, 1972, while Caroline was hitchhiking home, the West would pull up beside her and offer her a ride. And they told her this was a coincidence. They were like, oh, what the hell? There you are. Yeah. And she's like, eh. But they had obviously been watching her. They were waiting. They devised yeah. this plan. Yeah. Um, they apologized to Caroline and said, please, like, we're so sorry. We aren't going to do that anymore. It was stupid of us to, to think that we should be doing that to you. It's wrong please come back. The kids love you. Like, come and be our nanny. And she's like, fuck no. Go fuck yourself. She's like, no, I don't want to be your nanny. But she did. She, she had no reason to be afraid of them at this point because they had never been aggressive or violent with her. Just inappropriate. So she accepted the ride home, but would like, was like, nah, I don't want to be your nanny. Mm -hmm. Now, at some point during this ride home, Rose would hop into the back seat of the car with Caroline. And this is when things would take a dark turn. The conversation, the conversations turned from friendly chit chat to explicit talk about sex with Fred even having the audacity to ask Caroline if she had had sex with her boyfriend earlier that night. Ew. Rosa put her damn business. Yeah. Rosa put her arm around her and was like rubbing her legs and feeling her breasts and putting her hand up her skirt. And eventually Fred would pull over. Eventually Fred would pull over. 
and punch Caroline repeatedly in the face until she was unconscious. So Rose is like, here's here's Rose sexually harassing her, assaulting her. And then out of nowhere, Fred pulls over and like knocks her over. Starts slumming her. The fuck, man? When Caroline came to, she was, her hands were tied behind her back with her own scarf and Fred was wrapping her face in tape. They loved Mm. this tape. Uh, Rose was holding her head down on the back seat of the car until they arrived at Cromwell Street. She was moved from the car to an upstairs room where the couple undressed her and tried to calm her down before repeatedly raping her. Mm. And Rose seemed to be even more into this attack than Fred was, with Rose being the one who was basically directing the entire assault. I hate her so much. It wouldn't be until the next morning when Rose had left briefly that Fred actually penetrated Caroline himself. And when he was finished, he begged Caroline not to tell Rose, even stating that, like, he even started to cry a little. It was, like, clear that he was terrified of his own life. So. What the hell? Carolyn did try to escape at this point, but when Fred caught wind of this, he told her that if it happened again, he would put her in the cellar and let all of his black friends have a go at her and then threaten to kill her because he had done it hundreds of times before and they were all buried in the basement. Oh my God. At this point, no one was buried in the basement, but Caroline wouldn't know that, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And who knows? We know Fred has killed before. Maybe he has killed many more than we think than just Rena Charmaine and the next day Fred apologized for what he had said and what he had done saying that it was all Rose's idea and he asked Caroline to forgive him and come back to work as their nanny now Caroline was very smart and she knew that this might be her only way to survive so she agreed and she would start helping out around the house she would play with the kids and then on one occasion they would go to the laundromat Uh, She would go and help them do laundry. And it was during this outing that Caroline would take the opportunity to escape. She would leave leave the laundromat and run home to her mother's house. And at first, she refused to say anything about the attack. She didn't tell her mother anything. But her mom would notice that there was bruising all over Caroline's body. And soon, the truth was out. Caroline told her mother everything. Good. When detectives went to Cromwell Street to interview the West about what happened... Rose tried to deny it. However, she was so belligerent with police that they knew something was up and they decided that they would ask if they could search their vehicle. Mm. Inside, they found a button from Caroline's coat along with a, the brown packing tape that Caroline had described being wrapped around her face. Mm-hmm. And Fred and Rose were arrested and eventually Rose admitted to performing lesbian acts on Caroline and Fred admitted to raping her. Mm. Something to know. Because it's a lesbian act doesn't mean it was still like you were still raping her, Rose. Like, yeah. the fuck. I, I, she may not have wanted it, but it was a lesbian thing. Mm. Yeah, like that solid excuse, Rose. I don't yeah. fucking understand. Now, some things to note about the trial here were that the defense team made it seem as though Caroline wanted to have sex with the West. She didn't. But they stated that at any time, Caroline could have left and chose not to. I mean, what explain a better opportunity to, me, to victim blame than right now, right? Explain uh, to me how when she's tied to a chair and to a bed yeah, that she is going to escape. Like, fuck uh, off. Honestly. She lied. They also, they also took into consideration that while Fred did have previous convictions, because remember, he was in prison at one point for petty theft, fraud, that kind of thing. None of them were for sexual sexual assault 
And they said he just didn't seem like somebody who was capable of committing such a violent act. Oh, fuck. Oh, like, he I just doesn't have... look like a rapist. That defense attorney had better be so guilty of the rest of that, like, lifespan. Like, no. 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 Um, also, remember, he confessed to raping Caroline. And so when they said, well, why did you do it? He said, I don't know why it just happened. Yeah, this guy's not capable of violence. He doesn't even know why he did it. It just happened. Like, obviously, he just wanted to get his off. Like, Brock Turner all over again. I can understand. When it came to Rose, she was only 19 at the time with no criminal history. And she was pregnant. So they just couldn't see her as someone capable of committing sexual assault as described by the victim. I mean, someone who's pregnant is not going to rape someone, right? Right? Right, guys? When it was finally time for Caroline Owens to go to court, take the stand, and testify, she decided that she didn't want to reopen her wounds and refuse to to talk at that point. Yeah, she's been victim-blaming this whole time. Exactly. So the Wests agreed to plead guilty to the lesser charge of assault and were fined just 25 pounds each for what they had done to Caroline. You're joking me. So remember, this this predates... And you're, you're good. Yeah. So this predates all the murders. And it's mm. so frustrating because had they taken this seriously yeah, at this point... Yeah, been alive. It's possible that all these girls could have been alive. Yeah, yeah. They could have. And the defense attorney does regret. And so does... Good, and I hope that so they does, have like eggs. the magistrates. Yeah, hope they have eggs thrown at their houses because fuck <laughs> that. After Fred had confessed to the murders of the nine women, he explained to investigators where he could find their bodies. He told them that there would be five in the basement and a six underneath the grand the ground floor bathroom. This was the body of Linda Goff, who was buried in the garage that had since been knocked down and converted into an extension of the main house. So remember, she was wow. buried in that inspection in that pit. Level. Yeah. Yeah. The inspection pit had been filled in and the bathroom was built on top of it. Fred would go to the house with the investigators and point out each location of where the bodies were. Now, the cellar had to be dug up. And this is because after the bodies were in there and had been... What it, what Fred had done is he had converted the basement into bedrooms for the children. Uh, so imagine yeah, all but, these like, kids are sleeping on top of bodies. All these bodies. So there's concrete on top of the bodies and now bedrooms have been built in the basement. Unreal. So uh, Fred would go to the house with them and the cellar had to be dug up in sections one by one with each grave needing to be filled in before the next grave was dug in order to preserve like structural integrity of the house. So it was mm-hmm. a very time consuming laborious project that they were mm-hmm. that they had that they were doing here. They also had to remove a wall. So right beside Fred and Rose's like beside 25 Cromwell Street, there was a church. Like oh, right beside, God. very narrow. So in mm. order to get the equipment necessary to excavate ex- excavate the back garden, they had to remove a wall of this church. Wow. Each body was discovered to be missing several bones, mainly fingers, toes, kneecaps. But Fred refused to ever divulge what he did with the bones or why he even took them to begin with. Yeah. Fred would also admit to the murders of Anna McFall, Rena Costello, and his oldest daughter, daughter Charmaine. Now, when it came to Anna, he and Tarina, actually, he said he couldn't recall where they were and that he couldn't really remember who they were. But then all of a sudden, are you ready? 
This is going to take a turn you would never expect. Okay. All of a sudden, he could see their ghosts. Oh! (laughs) Their spirits had come to him when he was in jail. And they said, he said all of a sudden he could remember them clearly. And he could remember exactly where they were because of their spirits were telling him. They were guiding him to their resting place. So he would take them to Much Markle to the field where they were buried and they found them. That's so ridiculous. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so he can see ghosts now, and that's neat. Cool. <laughs> Side note, Fred would actually tell Janet Leach, this was the appropriate adult that was appointed to him, mm-hmm. that he actually didn't murder Anna. So at one point he did tell her this. He he told her that he had come home from work one evening to find Rena and her pimp at the house standing over Anna's body in a suitcase. And he said that Rena had stabbed Anna to death in a drug and alcohol-induced rage. He said that Rena and the pimp wanted to dispose of Anna at a garbage dump, but he wouldn't have that. So instead, he took her out to Much Markle to their special place and buried her there. Again, bullshit. You killed him. It's bullshit. Fred. It, later, Fred would admit to his lawyer that he did, in fact, kill Anna. And that he and then he even confessed to his father at, like, at the point that he killed Anna. He had confessed to Walter West. Mm-hmm. And Walter was just like, well, don't get caught. You know how Walter is with his don't get caught. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he's so full of stories during these interrogations. Like, listen to the Fred West tapes because he's just, he spews so much bullshit that it's really hard to keep straight. Like, right. even what, what he thinks is true. I don't even right. think he knows. So on May 5th, 1994, investigators went to 25 Midland Road. So this is the house they lived in before Cromwell Street. Yeah. yeah. There they discovered Charmaine's body and... I thought she was buried in the backyard, but according to the rest of my research, she was buried in the basement and had been covered in cement. Now, once all the bodies were found, next came the task of figuring out the identity of all the bodies. Mm -hmm. So even though we know who they are at the time when they found them, they had no idea. no idea. Now, this job went mainly to the forensic orthodontist named David Whitaker, Mm -hmm. who worked tirelessly comparing the teeth from skeletons to photos and dental records of all the missing people. Wow. And it was a long process, very long process, but eventually each victim would be positively identified. Wow. Good now, for him. Thank you for taking there, that time. There is a very fascinating story about Charmaine, and I hope I get this right um, about what happened here. So basically what was going on was that they could not find a picture of Charmaine uh, smiling with her teeth out like smiling with a toothy grin or whatever and they really wanted to try to determine exactly when Charmaine died because if they could determine that she died while Fred was in prison then they had Rose because at this mm-hmm. point they have nothing on Rose because right. Fred is denying up and blame. down right he's mm-hmm. taking all the blame so they have nothing on Rose and so they're really trying and somehow one day one day, because they'd been looking forever for a picture of Charmaine with her with her teeth showing, and they could not find one. And then out of nowhere, a fax comes in to the police department. No way. And it's a picture of Charmaine with her teeth out. What oh. had happened was, is that somebody had meant to fax that to Rose's defense team. And, and they did it to the prosecutor? Instead. <laughs> Take that, motherfuckers. And they were able to determine... That based on the photo of her teeth in that picture and the way her teeth looked on the skeleton, the approximate time of death, Mm -hmm. and that would put her death 
at the time when Fred was in prison, making Rose the one responsible for her. Wow. Good. That's karma right there. Well, I'm just saying like the dedication of these people to get, they needed to get something because everything else is circumstantial that they have on her. They cannot prove that she did anything because Fred is saying, no, she absolutely did not. Even though they don't believe this, they don't believe it at all. Yeah. Right. But during the search for bodies, Fred was still being questioned and maintaining that Rose knew nothing about what he was up to and that all of the victims were women that he was having affairs with and that he killed them either by accident or to prevent Rose from finding out about his infidelity. He would also say that all of these sexual encounters with these women were consensual, even though most of them are minors, Fred, so yeah. none of them are consensual. There's nothing but consensual you, about that. Now, despite Fred insisting that Rose wasn't involved in any of the murders, the police suspected otherwise, and soon she would find herself being placed under arrest and charged with the sexual assaults of an 11-year-old girl and an 8-year-old boy, and these were charges that dated back to the mid-70s, and I'm not sure if they're her own children or somebody else. I'm not really sure about the details on that, but that's what she's disgusting. Yeah. She was held in the maximum security wing of Puckle Church Prison, and she was denied bail and was questioned about her involvement in the murders. However, Rose, to this day, has never and would never admit to being involved and denied knowing anything about what her husband was up to. Seriously? On June 30th, 1994, Fred and Rose appeared in court and were formally charged. Fred was charged with 12 murders and Rose with nine. Now. This is in June. This is the first time that they had seen each other since Fred turned himself into police in February of 94. Wow. When he walked past his wife, Fred walked up to her, placed his hand on her shoulder. She ignored him completely. Uh Uh-uh. Scorned wife. (laughs) He would sit in court with his eyes fixed on her the entire time, just trying to get her attention. Mm -hmm. But she would sit stone-faced facing the judge, not even giving him a passing glance. He would again try to approach her when he left. And it was like Fred didn't exist anymore to her. That was probably torturous to him. Cold. Very cold. It It was after this that Fred started to sing a different tune. And he oh. started to kind of turn on Rose and implicate her very subtly in more of the murders. Mm. And after trying to contact his wife through letters and through his children and still being rejected, Fred ended up like recanting everything yeah. and was now placing almost all culpability onto Rose. Yeah, he's probably like, fuck this. That bitch ain't even going to acknowledge me. Yeah. You did it, girl. You guilty. Yeah. Fred began to grow depressed and withdrawn from this point forward. On January 1st, 1995, Fred would be found dead in his su- in his cell. Oh. Uh, he had hung himself. Oh, with, uh, coward. In his cell, they found a suicide note, which read, To Rose West, Steve, and May. So Steve and May are their children. Mm-hmm. Well, Rose, it's your birthday on November 29th, 1994. And you will be 41 and still beautiful and still lovely. And I love you. We will always be in love. The most wonderful thing in my life was when I met you. Our love is special to us. So love, keep your promises to me. You know what they are. We, uh, Where we are put together forever and ever is up to you. We loved Heather, both of us. I would love Charmaine to be with Heather and Rena. Mm. You will always be Mrs. West all over the world. That is important to me and to you. I haven't got you a present, but all I have is my life. 
I will give it to you, my darling. When you are ready, come to me. I will be waiting for you. Ugh. In hell. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> In the depths of hell. <laughs> uh, at first, Rose was uh, relieved about hearing of her husband's suicide, thinking it was her, like, get out of jail free guard. She's like, oh, yeah, he's dead. Trial's off. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Bye. But it was the exact opposite. Yeah. Rose would end up going on trial, facing 10 charges of murder all on her own. Good. Several witnesses would testify against Rose West, including Caroline Owens, yes. Anne-Marie West, yes. Daisy uh, Letts, Rose's own mother, yes, and a woman known only by Miss A, who was sexually assaulted by the couple in the 70s when she was just 14 years old. Mm. She would claim that Rose didn't only actively participate in her assault, but was basically calling the shots the entire time. Rose's defense counsel tried to discredit many of the prosecution witnesses, stating that many of them have been paid off by the media to share their stories, which was true, but these stories weren't fake. These people still did this. There's no fake news. Yeah, not, not here. So who's to say that they weren't lying to make some more money? And I totally get that. That's a totally, like, you know, relevant point to bring up, but these... Not true. Yeah. Yeah. Rose... She is a monster. Yeah. Now, Rose would end up taking the stand in her own defense, which was like, whew, bad idea. Bad <laughs> never, idea. never a good she, idea. She was defensive, rude, and would make light of some of her victims' experiences. She would hmm. kind of make fun of the way they looked and yada, yada, yada. She would claim not to even know six of them and then would say that it would say that Fred and she led completely different lives, which, of course, was proven to be false based on countless witness statements from lodgers of the bed sets that said mm-hmm. no like they definitely did everything together yeah now the last witness to be called at trial was fred's appropriate adult janet leach she I would test sung like a canary she would testify to the fact that fred disclosed to her that he and rose had made a pact that he would take the blame for all the murders which he described to her as being rose's little mistakes Why don't me? I mean, I take what Fred says with a grain of salt, but honestly, I fucking hate Rose. I think Rose is a bitch. So I believe it. I hate Fred too. Like, he also told her that Rose had killed Charmaine and that she was also responsible for the death of Shirley Robinson. This was the the woman that was eight months pregnant. Yeah. After a seven week long trial, the jury deliberated. After two days of deliberation, the jury reached a verdict. Rose was found guilty on all charges and was sentenced to life in prison. Yes. She was incarcerated at HMP Bronzefield as a Category A uh, prisoner. Side note, she was actually incarcerated at the same prison as Myra Hindley. Myra Hindley was one one half of the Moore's murders. It was like an infamous murder case in England from the 60s. And apparently these two infamous women had a romantic relationship for a, for, uh, for a short time, but Myra Hindley found Rose to be very, like, domineering and overbearing and oh. controlling. So she was like, fuck this. <laughs> so Gross. interesting. If you know, we'll do the Moore's murders one day and you'll be like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get why that's a big deal. So, um, Yeah. She was later transferred to HM Prison Newhall, where she continues to reside today. Oh, she's she still is, alive? She's still alive. She has never admitted to her crimes and has always maintained that she is completely innocent of any wrongdoing. Yeah. It's widely speculated that there are many more murders that can be attributed to Fred and Rose West, but with Rose refusing to admit guilt and Fred being 
dead. dead. It's likely we will never know the absolute truth. Wow. According to Janet Leach, Fred had actually told her that he had killed at least 20 other girls. Oh my God. But would never give specific details about these victims. Wow. Wow. One mur- there is one murder that is believed to be attributed to Fred, and that is of a 15-year-old girl named Mary Bastholm. She had been working as a waitress in a cafe that Fred was known to be a regular at when she went missing in 1968. She was last seen waiting for a bus on her way to see her boyfriend at the time, which is very similar to what we've heard about other victims. No sign of Mary has ever been found short of a few pieces of the Monopoly game that she was carrying with her that night. Oh my gosh. Investigators believe that the circumstances of her disappearance are eerily similar to the rest of the West victims. However, no evidence has ever been recovered to link them to Mary. And her whereabouts remain a mystery to this day. Wow. In 68. 1968. Wow. Yeah. Rose appealed her sentence in March of 1996, but her appeal was rejected. Yeah, obviously. Thank God. The West House in Crom- on Cromwell Street was demolished in October of 1996. Every piece of debris was destroyed so that people couldn't take pieces of it as souvenirs. That's kind of like what happened with the apartment building in the Jeffrey Dahmer case. Same right. thing. Yeah. Uh, the site was later redeveloped into a public park. Or pathway, sorry. In 1999, Anne-Marie West attempted suicide by drowning herself in the riv- River Severn. She would jump off a bridge. Oh, no. Uh, she would later say that she felt so guilty for having survived her parents when so many others didn't. Oh, that survivor's guilt. Yeah. And mm. many, Caroline Owens has said in interviews that she always felt so guilty that she survived and the other the other women did not. I can't imagine what that feels like. Like, yeah. oh gosh, that would weigh so heavy on your whole heart. Now, Stephen West, uh, one of the sons from Mm -hmm. fred and rose son fred and rose's sons is also known to have made a suicide attempt in 2002 Mm. he had attempted to hang himself in 2004 he was arrested and imprisoned for nine months after having sex with a 14 year old girl oh no please end the cycle keep him in jail we're not going through that again now their youngest son his name was barry west he ended up taking his own life using drugs it was a suspected drug overdose Mm. in october of 2020 he was only 40 years years old rachel he's younger than rob this guy like i'm so sad rest in peace to all these west children as well and like your poor hearts and souls because i can't imagine how they all feel um yeah now, Barry was known to have battled drug addiction his entire life and had psychiatric problems as a result of the abuse that he witnessed and Absolutely. probably endured himself growing up. I would up. be high as fuck every chance I got after enduring all of that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Now, both Anne-Marie and her sister May have written books about their experiences growing up in the West household, and I will link them below. May West wrote a book called Love Always, Mom at the truth and terrible story of surviving childhood with Fred and Rose West. Mm -hmm. And Anne-Marie wrote a book called Out of the Shadows. And I will link both of those below if you guys want to check them out. I haven't read either one of them, but I imagine that they're horrific and sad and devastating and just... Completely heartbreaking. 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 Oh, my gosh. Guys, that is all I have today. That is the story of Fred and Rose West. That's over... 
almost two hours of listening for you guys. So yeah, that's a lot. I'm sorry that it's so long, but I just I couldn't to yeah. be told. I, and I didn't feel like cutting it into a third one. It wouldn't have the same impact if I broke this yeah. one up into two episodes. So I feel that. I feel that. That's a lot, Erica. Holy cow. I'm going to link all my sources in the show notes because there is so much that I didn't say that could have been told about this case. Really? And I encourage you guys to go out and research it on your own and read more about it. It's a fascinating case. These people are so evil. But coming back to what we said at the very beginning of the first episode, what is your opinion? Rachel, listeners out there, is this nature or nurture? What made oh, these people, were I they born this way? That. Were Fred and Rose born this way? Or do you think that in a different no, that's, environment? That's some definitely have... some nurture shit happening. I mean, I'm sure there's a like a, a history of um, generational trauma, but that is some definite nurture shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Ugh. It's insane. Yeah. Um, on a side note, before we go, I do want to mention my sister, hey, Caitlin, uh, is going to have a field day with the amount of times that you said buried. She, I don't know if she loves it, hates it, indifferent, but she always <laughs> comments that you say buried instead of What's wrong buried. buried. I don't, I just. It's not how you say it. Buried. <laughs> going to be. Is it like when I say bagel? Bagel? I say bagel. Who the hell says that bagel? It's either bagel bagel or bagel, but not bagel. It's bagel. It's not bagel. (laughs) Rob hates it. I can't make myself say bagel. It sounds weird. Well, then say I can't say I can't say necklace. It's like you're forgetting a whole letter is there. Necklace. Necklace. (laughs) I always say necklace. If I I hear it when people say necklace. Yeah, people usually say necklace. And necklace. I hate that. It's like you don't have a neck. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> I, I say really necklace. Like necklace. Necklace. Yeah. Necklace. I say necklace. Yeah. Buried, buried, bagel. No, it's not bagel. Bagel or bagel. But it's not, there's no, it's not B-E-G-E-L. Bagel. I know. I All can't right. make myself say it. It just comes out. Or like when I say Detroit. <laughs> no, don't ever do that again. <laughs> All right, I'm, guys. All right. <laughs> What were you going to say? <laughs> well, now that now everyone is going to be aware aware of the buried, and they're going to listen to it for it now. I'm glad you Let said it at the end. Comments if uh, that's wrong or bothers you. It's <laughs> just what I say. I can't help it. All right, <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find us on Instagram, you can do that at story crime pod and if you want to send me an email you can do that at storycrimepod at gmail.com and if you'd like to donate to the pod buy us a coffee keep us awake now that work is back you can do that at our buy me a coffee page and i'll link that in the show notes below otherwise take care of yourselves everyone we love you and we will see you next time Bye. Bye. bye